All right, well, let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to be here tonight. We pray that you would bless as we look at your word and ask some questions and seek to further apply uh, these passages that we've already looked at and preached through. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us as we seek to be good students of the word and stewards of that which you've entrusted to us. Bless in this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, let's go to chapter 2. And I uh, just want to review here a little bit. I've got all my notes up here. Four different sermon notes. So I'm going to get myself all confused. But in chapter 2, this is where it begins. Uh, warning that there will be false prophets as there were false prophets. The Bible says... There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privily bring in damnable heresies, heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. That covetousness is kind of a twofold uh, intent there. It is covetous teachers preying upon or taking advantage of exploiting the covetousness of people. All right? Um, and the two work together to further what they're after. For if God, then he gets into these illustrations of this. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved uh, unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow making them an example unto uh, those that should after live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Verse 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings. In other words, they're doing this purposefully, all right? This is, we're talking about teachers who are uh, not so self-deceived. These are those who are intentional. They've come in privately, privily uh, to seduce and now they're sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. So they're actually laughing and uh, look at what I'm getting away with, look at what I'm doing, and, and so forth. So it's a very purposeful, intentional thing that we're looking at here. Uh, we keep going. I just lost my, there it is, verse 14. 
having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So as I said before, I believe that these individuals are uh, speaking specifically of lost men who have come in to churches, to beguile, and to, uh, uh, I guess, follow their own agenda according to their own covetous practices and so forth. And uh, I believe that we as Christians need to be on guard because we can be influenced by false teachers, false teaching. We're not immune to it simply because we're saved. Uh, we can certainly imbibe things that will derail us and, and so forth. Uh, the question comes up, are these saved men who then deny their salvation, or are these unsaved men all the way along? And I believe the last verse helps to clear that up, that uh, the dog is going back to his own vomit, the sow that was washed going back to the mire. In other words, it always, the dog was always a dog, the sow was always a sow. It wasn't a sow that became a sheep that became a sow, it was a sow that got cleaned up on the outside, but was still a sow the entire time. Uh, these men are reserved to judgment, and it goes through many different verses here, talking about how bad that judgment will be, uh, because when you think about it, these were those who decided to, uh, to make merchandise of the gospel. Uh, the, the message of the gospel is a message of freedom. It's a message of deliverance. It's a message of hope. And people do need hope. And so it's something that can be commandeered for monetary gain. And, uh, you know, if you have a business sense, if you're smart, you can say, hey, that's a good idea. That sells. I can, I can take the Jesus thing, the hope, the freedom, you know, the breaking free whole thing, and I can, I can run with that. I can do it my way and I can make my money and have what I want out of this. And that's what's happening here where it actually says, where's the verse, um, that they, they actually had knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And um, uh, it says that because of this, so after they're again entangled and overcome, the latter is worse for them than the beginning. And it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment 
delivered unto them. So you've got those who are going to be severely punished, severely judged because of how much they knew and were accountable for. So last, the last few weeks, we, we, did a, we started off with the portrait of the false prophet. Uh, the, I think I called it the disturbing portrait and uh, looked at their sphere, their subtlety, their sacrilege, their supporters, their sensuality, their stigma, their skill set, their speech, and their sentence. And then we looked at the divine precedent, speaking of the angels that sinned and the old world with the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the precedent that was set. God knew how to judge them, and yet He knew how to deliver the righteous. There was a defiant practice of these teachers, verses 10 through 14. They're all about walking after the flesh, despising authority, doing their own thing after their own natural, instinct-driven, animalistic desires, rioting in the daytime, reveling, beguiling unstable, unstable souls, covetous and cursed. We saw their a deviant predecessor, uh, Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, and they have followed in this same madness. The madness of the prophet is the same madness that these men have followed after. Rather than taking the freedom that Christ offers, they seek to use it for their own gain. There's a devoid promise that these men make in verses 17 through 19. They're wells without water, clouds with no rain, and uh, uh, they have big fleshly impressive words. They have a lot of fleshly appeal, but they are just appealing to the lusts and flesh of their hearers, tickling the itching ears. They're promising them liberty, but they're captives themselves. And they have a definite perdition, verses 20 and 21, as I spoke about a moment ago, it had been better for them to not have known all of this than to have uh, exploited it to their own judgment, to their own demise. And then that defining proverb, it's happened to them. According to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his vomit and the sow to her wallowing in, uh, to, to, in the mire. And so we, we took from all of that the warning to beware of false teachers, to <clears throat> remember, uh, to, to, to test them by the Scriptures. You need to know their traits, test them by the Scriptures. And it, it, one of the best uh, defenses against false teachers and false teaching is don't be an unstable soul that's easily beguiled. Uh, the double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. We have got to be grounded or we are going to be easy prey. Beware of those who have adopted practices and philosophies of the false teachers. And I pointed out a few, even by name. And I have an, another name I'd actually like to bring up tonight if we have time. Uh, there are people that start out, they seem, they seem like they're spot on, they're preaching the gospel, things are good. Um, and then, whoop, left turn, big left turn and doctrinal deviation and so forth. What do we do with these guys? I want to talk about that in a minute. We talked about Billy Graham, and I gave you uh, the interview where he's talking with brother, uh, Dr. Schuler, <clears throat> and Dr. Schuler is asking him about what he believes about uh, the way to heaven. And Dr. Schuler says, what I hear you saying is that it's possible for Jesus Christ to come into a human heart and soul and life even if they've been born in darkness and have never had exposure to the Bible? Is that a correct interpretation of what you're saying? And Dr. Graham says, yes. It's because I believe that. 
That's an interesting way to answer that question. Yes, because I believe it. I don't care what anybody believes. Prove it to me from Scripture. Uh, what I believe doesn't matter. Uh, but I just feel it. It's my truth. What is this? Uh, there's only one truth, and it comes from the Word of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He has the only truth uh, that you and I need to worry about. He says, yes, it's because I believe it. I've met people in various parts of the world in tribal situations that have never seen a Bible or heard a Bible, never heard of Jesus, but they've believed in their hearts that there's a God, and they tried to live a life that was quite apart from the surrounding community in which they lived. And so that, I guess, equates to salvation. They never knew of God. They never knew of Jesus. They never knew of sin, righteousness, judgment. But they knew something in their heart, and they tried to live differently than the rest of their neighbors. And so that makes them saved, according to Brother Graham. Dr. Schuler says, this is fantastic. I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. There's a wideness in God's mercy. And Dr. Graham says there is. There definitely is. Well, that's true. There is a wideness in God's mercy. Amen. There is a wideness in God's mercy, but there is a narrow door to salvation. And it is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is why we have world missions, because there are hearts, like Dr. Graham was talking about, who are searching and open and looking. We have to find them with the gospel. So what do we do with a guy like Bill, Dr. Billy Graham? I, I personally, and you can disagree with me on this, it's fine. Uh, I personally do believe Dr. Graham was saved. I believe he uh, allowed himself to wear down in the fight of faith, and he surrounded himself with a lot of people that he was working with that did not believe the gospel. And after a while, uh, you know, one person is, it can only stand for so long in the middle of so much um, pressure. And I also believe, giving him credit, I believe he had a huge heart for people. And he just loved people so much, he wanted to see everybody saved. But as I mentioned when I preached this message, we're not called to love people supposedly more than God. Now, you can't love them any more than God loves them. And uh, if you think that you love them in a way that needs a new gospel, you're, you're in error. Um, so what, what do we do with guys like him, uh, Dr. Schuler, or others? I mentioned Andy Stanley, um, uh, and there's a few others here I have written down. How do we process these situations? I think it's important for us to, to work through that. So that is where we uh, ended last, oh no, not last time, but two times ago, I believe, looking at false teachers and false teaching from 2 Peter chapter 2. And then, of course, this morning, we looked at the first half of 2 Peter chapter 3. I've got a few questions written down that we can go to, but I first like to hear from you what questions you guys may have. Let's start with chapter 2, if we could, and uh, the microphone men will come and find you if you just put your hand up. Anybody have uh, a thought, question, comment? So far from chapter 2. It's a tough chapter, I'll be honest with you. Yes, sir. Yeah, he can hold it for you if you want, however you want to do it. Okay. Is it on? Yeah. Okay. Just hold it up and they'll, they'll turn it on in a minute. I 
<laughs> okay. I've, I've been known to speak up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anyway, verse 1, they talk about denying the Lord that bought them. There are those that say, there we are. Thank you. Yeah. Um, these were say, and again, we can debate, you know, were they saved that went astray or were they, still, were they it. never, yeah. You got to use this like hand to gesture. Animated, yeah. This gestures, this hand holds it. I'm going to make him hold it for you. Were they saved and went astray yeah. or were they never saved? And, right. and, and I, I, because of that word bought and the Greek there is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 6 for you're bought with a price. Well, that's saved, obviously he's talking about. But I think it's, it's a different usage. I, I believe they were not saved. They were never saved. And, and I th all this examples through the rest of the chapter, um, but certainly we, we know people can be deceived and people can come in and, and men of the cloth, if you will, or ministers, pastors, evangelists. Um, but the word bought here is, is uh, the Greek agorazo from agora, marketplace, means used to buy, like I'm going to the store to buy something. And it is used in other places of, of redemption. It seems pretty clear, like you're bought with a price. But in 1 Peter 1, Peter uses a different word when he says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. So the word bought means using redemption. All right, Christ paid the price for our sins with his blood, and you're bought with a price. So these men were saved, they say, because that word bought. But it doesn't always, a lot of, most of the times in the New Testament, and I have my Englishman's Greek okay. here, <laughs> but to show how many other times and where it's used, it means bought, merchandise. Jesus said, go into the village and buy such things as we have need of. Same word. Um, but when, when they really want to use redeemed or redemption, it's, it's um, lutruo or lutrosis, a different Greek word. And that's what Peter used in chapter one, you redeem a different. So I'd take the position that they, they were not saved, and but... Again, Satan's ministers are transformed into right. a, um, what ministers of light or angels of light. Right. Uh, and and when, when, when you get to that last verse, it says the latter end is worse. My freshman year of Bible college, 1978, we weren't there a month or two. And then on the cover, if you all were adults then, uh, the cover of what was it? Time magazine was Jim Jones and the Jonestown, uh, Guyana, the massacre and the tragedy of the People's Temple. And here's the picture of all the people and the Kool-Aid, you know, and all the, all the corpses. And, and I'll try, we don't have too many young, we got young ears, but I don't yeah. think Marin will understand what I'm saying there. But that was the latter end of a false prophet. Mm -hmm. But it, if you look him up, and I, I Googled him once on Wikipedia, or David Koresh, yeah. you look at their beginning, they had a lot of religious instruction and, and teaching and even college or Bible, I don't know about Bible college, but then they go astray, they go astray, and then you see the latter end is certainly worse than the beginning. But I just take the position that bought there is not that they were blood bought by, the, by Christ and saved. And then I, I just looked at Romans 1 because I thought of that, or the Lord spoke it to me. For when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So we can paint a broad brush of stroke and say, everyone that knows God is saved. It says when they knew God, right. they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imagination. So we have to be careful about it. Sometimes terminology can, yes. oh, that means they're saved. Right. Look at the context. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and then if you, we can talk about the angels that sinned and what was their Go sin for it. later. Go for, no, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you know, it, it could be taken that, that denying the Lord that bought them, I think, could be talking also just in terms of he, in general, paid the price. He died on the cross, his blood was shed, everything that needed to be done for you or me to be saved was done at that moment. And so uh, the price was paid. Um, I could buy you a gift and set it right here and say, don't forget this, come grab this before we're done. And it's bought and paid for, but you know about it. You shake it, smell it, you know, oh, it sounds like Legos or whatever. That's what my kids always do. Oh, it's Legos, Dad. <laughs> That's an easy giveaway. Can't ever, why do we even wrap Legos? The kids all know the Legos. Uh, but you, so you know what it is and everything's good. And then you walk away. Uh, it, it doesn't mean I didn't buy it. It doesn't mean that it, it's not my fault, but uh, so that's kind of how I see it. It's not, similar to you there. The, the Lord did the work, but they denied the Lord. Um, and verse 20 is, can be a little bit troubling as well because it says, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse than the beginning. Um, so after they escaped, you could say, oh, see, they escaped. They were, they were definitely saved. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, th they had come over to the Christian camp, in that sense, escaping the pollutions of the world. You know, uh, this is supposed to be different than, than other camps, right? Uh, where we're preaching the Bible, we're going a certain direction. And so people who come into this assembly... Uh, could be considered to be a part of the assembly and having escaped the pollutions of the world. Uh, they have a knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It doesn't say their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But then they are entangled again therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Um, uh, you know, you, you could definitely argue it uh, the other way, but uh, if you follow if you follow the consistency of the passage, I, I believe that that uh, is, is consistent with, with the rest of the passage as far as its context. They knew him, and they knew him well, but they refused him. And that uh, epigenosis, I always add a, an extra K in there, epigenosis, uh, that's full, precise knowledge, which you would say, oh, full, precise knowledge, they've got to be saved. Um, not necessarily because knowledge has never saved anybody. Full, precise, correct knowledge has never saved a soul. It is the knowledge that then uh, creates action of the will where there's repentance and faith. All right? The knowledge is part of the process. I would say it'd be hard to get saved without full, precise knowledge. Uh, you can't really get saved without knowing what you're, what you're trusting in. But having this knowledge is the first piece, it would seem to me that these have stopped short at that point and refused him, denying the truth, and this is why their end is to be so severe because of their knowledgeable, willful rejection. Yes, Megan, and we'll get the microphone for you. Chris can hold it for you. So you can gesture as much as you want. Yep. <laughs> I did have a colleague who fit that bill to a T. He knew the Bible, and this was in the beginning of my journey, but he knew it back and forth. 
and he could tell me and we would talk about it and he would say go look at this scripture and go look at this scripture but he refused to believe in Jesus and he would also then teach other things at the same time but he knew the Bible very very well and that was like a bizarre thing for yeah. me yeah, I knew a guy, well, I didn't really know him. I, I met a professor uh, who had studied the Bible multiple times, Hebrew, Greek, just an absolute genius guy, and didn't believe a word of it. But he, he loved the Bible as a literary masterpiece. And he would talk about the Bible, and, and just he was just enthralled with the Bible. I, I, he spent his whole life studying the Bible didn't believe a word of it as far as a divine message from God. Interesting. Think about how much knowledge some people have and yet not going not gonna to do anything with it. Yeah, it's incredible. Good. Someone else? Uh, Jason? All the way in the back. So, um, I can understand the temptation to want to follow um, at w the false teachers at times. I can understand the temptation and give you this example. So years ago, I was at work and a coworker of mine whose mother had just passed, she was Catholic, her mother was Catholic, and she saw me and made a beeline for me after the first day to work, back to work after the funeral, and she made a beeline for me. And she said, Jason, You've, you've given me the, what you, how you interpret the gospel <laughs> many times. And so I want you to say what you would believe about my mother. My mother did not believe in Jesus alone. She believed in Jesus plus baptism, confirmation, the sacraments, that all these things had to have to work together and um, to get to heaven. Where is my mother according to you? And I did not want to answer that question. <laughs> and I was like, I can't see in your mother's heart. <laughs> you know, I yeah. just tried to dismiss it. And she said, no, I'm telling you, my mother, we gave thousands of dollars to help shorten her time in purgatory. Tell me how much, what you think about that. What does the scripture say? And I just was immediately confronted with, I wanted, there was this pull to want to just say, I don't know who your mother is. I trust she loved Jesus, but I... I was faced with this confrontation of, no, I am going to not align myself with the false teachers of the Catholic Church. I am going to align myself with the Word of God and my Savior and trust that any offense that's going to come out of this won't be because I've got a bad attitude. I was in a position that I had to answer, and I gave her the God. I mean, I said, mm -hmm. if your mother is trusting anything outside of the finished blood of Jesus Christ alone to save her, that is not salvation. And to answer your question, she would be in hell today, and that's where she will be for all eternity. There is no temporary abode. And the Lord, I believe, gave me the words. I actually knew what I needed to say and was confident in him, but you could hear a pin drop because <laughs> it was around other people. And, um, and it's like, what good can come from that? Well, there was one person that was there, Jenny, who um, was a nurse's aide, who later approached me and she said, this is real stuff. And she got saved. And wow. so um, it just was, and, and came here for a short time, um, but it was, uh, it, I, I understood in that moment in a way that I never had before how somebody can just not want to give somebody that bad news of your mother's in mm. hell if this is what she's trusted, trusted in. And so um, I guess just understanding, you know, you take those names that you've given and 
you know, of different men who once stood for truth and no longer do. And, um, and I can understand how they can be tempted. Um, it's so sad that they yielded to that. There is, because uh, of course, ultimately, um, they're hurting. And, and, I, and yeah. I know this isn't related, but it, it does fit in my mind the, the verses that talk about if you don't discipline your child, you hate that child. Yeah. But it feels like, you know, it, it can be, but in reality, because that is truth, that pain, that it has, it has a, a godly result. And, and um, we can, in our mind, want to um, dismiss and think, think that we know better. But it, I don't know, I guess I'm mm. just kind of rambling, but just those were thoughts that were in my mind. Yeah, I appreciate I that. This. It's sometimes hard to speak the truth in love and not water down the truth. Because love kind of makes you want to water it down a little bit. It's uh, not really love. Yeah. And what these false teachers do is exactly the opposite. They speak pseudo-truths in what they would say is love, and uh, they, they tickle the ears and so forth. Uh, I, I want to jump in. I'm looking at the time. Yeah, I think I'm going to jump in to a question I wrote down. What do we do with certain people in our day that maybe have blessed us, they have had great biblical messages, great ministries, and then off they go? What do we do with this? And and what do we do with them? Well, first of all, I don't think that we necessarily have to make any declarations. I I decided to tell you, I think, personally, Billy Graham is saved. What I think doesn't matter a hill of beans. I just wanted to say that. I mean, <laughs> we can argue about it. The Lord knows if he was or wasn't. Um, but really, that doesn't matter. Uh, what does matter is uh, uh, what we do with what they are saying, what they're teaching, what they did say, what they currently say. Um, with some of these guys, Andy Stanley has changed his tune and is now embracing homosexuality and, and so forth. And Uh, refusing to look at what he calls are the clobber passages. Uh, Whenever you just dismiss certain passages of Scripture as clobber passages, and that's a quote, that's what he calls them, it makes me wonder how how are you handling the Word of God, period. Like, we can't just dismiss stuff. Um, But he he is doing that. There's another guy I want to talk to you about for a moment. How many of you are familiar with the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye by Josh Harris? Oh, you've heard of it? Uh, so you're familiar with Josh Harris? Some of you would be familiar somewhat? Okay. In the 90s, I believe it was, uh, was it the 90s that he wrote that book? Late 80s, early 90s, probably early 90s. He wrote the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It sold thousands of copies and has some really good biblical principles in it as far as the whole dating scene and keeping your purity and honoring your parents, honoring the Lord, maintaining your testimony, going about finding God's mate through biblical principles, going at it with purpose, not just, this is fun, you're this week, you're that next week, you know, you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and uh, just the whole dating scene of just fun, 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 but no, no intentionality and whatever. He, 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 I'm not saying I agree with everything in the book. Um, it's been ages since I've seen the book. But I, I do know that he, he, he wrote a book with a lot of good biblical principles on how to find your life's mate, uh, he has recanted, he has, he has apologized for his book, and uh, there's some things, honestly, I, I looked at his blog back when he first apologized for the book, 
Uh, and there were some things I agreed with him about. There's some things in his book that he did go too far with. Um, and, and so he tried to dial all that back in. But he kept deconstructing. And so at first, I'll be honest with you, when Josh Harris first began questioning his book, I was encouraged by the things he was questioning. Some of the things I thought were taking it beyond the principles and just ratcheting people down to a system. And you have to have this system, and it's my system, and so forth. I don't think we can really do that. I think we have to just stick with the principles and let the biblical principles guide us, and, and we're going to have to flesh that out um, family by family and church by church and so forth. So uh, at, at, at the beginning of his deconstruction, I was, I was encouraged, but then as I saw him never tap the brakes, he continued to deconstruct and deconstruct and deconstruct to where he was not just questioning his book, he was questioning the book, uh, the Word of God, and he was questioning everything about everything, sexuality and so forth. And uh, he divorced his wife, or she divorced him, I'm not sure which, and they just went right off into anything goes. And I've, I, I've been on his blog, his podcast, his Facebook, and it's just so sad. Here's him and his son sharing a beer and, and talking about um, whatever and he believes in, sexuality is whatever you want to do with it. And uh, just the only thing that he says we should limit sexuality, uh, the only thing that should limit sexuality is this. I, I, I just blew that. What, uh, he, he says um, we should not shame people. That's what he says. The only limiting factor is shame or whatever. That's the thing that we're supposed to be against is shame. Don't shame people. Whatever they do, they do. This is a guy who was a pastor for years. This is a guy who wrote numerous books. This is a guy who um, helped a lot of people and now he is uh, living with his girlfriend and uh, just basically trying to figure out his life. His blog is interesting. He's a life coach, by the way. Isn't it great? Don't you want to sign up? Uh, his, <laughs> you go to his blog, his website, and, and he says, I used to be, right, right there, big bold letters, boom, first thing. I used to be the guy with all the answers, chapter and verse. Now I'm just figuring things out. Uh, and if you want to figure things out with me, you can pay me 500 bucks an hour or whatever. I don't know. Um, that sounds like a great deal. Uh, but he's very much in demand still and so forth because people like the fact that he's brash and authentic and uh, what you see is what you get. Um, I don't know where, where I'm going, but at least I tell you I don't know where I'm going. And people are like, yes, I'm all in with that. Uh, but what do we do about uh, the fact uh, of, of tonight's question was, like, is he saved? Is he lost? Um, is he a false teacher? Well, certainly, he falls in the false teacher category now, okay? Uh, I think when he got started, um, when he first set out, he, he was very biblical and, and evangelical and so forth. I think there's a lot of things that happen with Josh. I think he... Um, is the classic example of what God says about uh, not a novice, less being lifted up with pride, he fallen to the condemnation of the devil. Um, I remember Josh Harris just went, skyrocketed to fame overnight. This young kid, was he like 18 years old or 20 years old when he wrote I Kissed Aiden Goodbye? This kid writes this book that goes viral. That's before things went viral, you know? Um, and 
then finally he gets married and they televised his wedding. And if you've seen the videos of his wedding, it was like, like the Queen of England is getting married. You know, the, the Ike is stating goodbye. Guy has found his bride. It was a huge deal. And then he goes straight into um, the ministry and takes over a mega, mega church uh, for, I just blanked on the pastor's name that he took over for. Somebody will have to help me with that. But anyway, um, mega church pastor puts it right in his lap. You're the next guy. And overnight, he is, he is just the man. And I think the Bible speaks to that. Uh, not a novice means not a novice. I don't care if you wrote a best-selling book. So that was a great book. Now go do life like everybody else. Go to Bible college, uh, get in ministry, be mentored, go through channels, and uh, don't just become a celebrity and get wrecked. I believe that he's a classic example of that verse. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And that's what's happened. You know, I think um, with people like Josh Harris, and there's others like him, um, it's possible he was never saved. I guess it's possible. I believe it's also possible he is saved and far from God in the gall of bitterness. And think about it. We save people are capable of a lot of stuff when we get bitter. Jonah had some horrible things to say. Nobody doubts whether or not we're going to see him in heaven. Uh, the apostle Peter cursed and sweared, swore in denial of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A lot of us, if we didn't know any better, because we're reading Second Peter here, you know, uh, so I guess the guy is saved, um, we wouldn't have given Peter a chance. We would have said, you denied the Lord Jesus? No way, man, you're done. There's no way you're saved. But Peter was saved, um, and you've got examples of people in the Bible who uh, know the Lord and yet turn and do great, great destruction to the Word of God and the testimony of the Lord. You know, think about your kid. Maybe your kid's not like this. I got five of them, and this rings true to me anyway. Sometimes when my, one of my kids gets really, really tired and really upset and really angry, all kinds of things come out of their mouth that I do not take seriously. I don't believe a word of it. It's like, oh, oh no, take the counseling. No, he's, he's tired, sinful, crabby, needs a walloping on the backside, uh, needs some love and needs a good talk, needs a nap you know, but no, I don't believe anything that you just said, right? Um, I believe that there are some tired, worn out, bitter, hurting, wounded pastors who have given so much given and given and given and then they just take it on the chin and then backstab and this and that their life is falling apart and they're lonely so lonely and so isolated 
Like if you're Josh, Josh Harris, who can be Josh Harris's friend at the limelight? You're the guy way up here. Who can be Billy Graham's close friend? I'm sure he had close friends, but like sometimes people get to be untouchable. And you got all this angst in your soul and you have your own questions and, and yet everyone's coming to you with a gazillion questions, but you have your own questions, you have your own struggles and you're trying to help everybody else's struggles and yet you're bleeding on the inside and if, if the right things line up the right way, you can snap and turn on God and in a horrible fit like an eight-year-old stomping kid, you can also spot all kinds of things that aren't true you can say all kinds of things. You can go to your room, stomp and slam the door. I'm done with you, God. I'm done with this. I'm resigning my pulpit and well, I'm going to write my book and, and all of this. Is Josh Harris saved or lost? I don't know. But I do know this, that I, I know that it is possible for Christians to capitulate and do a lot of damage. And I go to chapter 2 and I go to the book of Lot. The book of Lot the verse that speaks of Lot. And he's stuck right in here in all of this, and it kind of helps me have some light on my question, where it says, um, he was a righteous man and delivered just Lot, righteous Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve to the, the unjust to the, under the day of judgment to be punished. All right, so Lot, he turned his back on Abraham. He went after covetousness, pleasure, ease, much like these false teachers. He went in there and just lived in the cesspool. It hurt his soul. It vexed his righteous soul from day to day. It, it, he knew it was, he was unsettled, but he was right there. He sat in the gate. That usually is the place of business and politics and so forth. He was right there in the middle of it, and he lost all of his kids. Every last one of them he lost to the world. And that is what I believe happens when Okay, so we have false teachers who teach and see people destroyed, but I think you can also have Bible teachers who know the Lord, get discouraged, bitter, angry, off they go. They keep running their mouth. I wish these guys would just shut up. You know, go figure out your life. Stop blogging, stop writing, stop. Just stop until you figure out <laughs> what you believe. We don't need the running dialogue. We know you're lost and we're praying for you. Go get counseling. Go in a cave and don't come out till you met with the Lord. That's what Elijah did. Um, but anyway, they don't. They keep blogging. They keep writing. They keep doing all their thing. And they just take people with them. And that's what Lot did. That's what Lot did. Just kept on going. Took his family with him. Brought everybody down with him. Lost his wife. Lost his kids gave birth to two nations of vile, vile people who were at war with God from then on. And yet, we believe that Lot was saved. So, 
I don't think we need to judge or put a judgment on what about this guy or what about that guy? Was he saved or lost? I think we just need to recognize regardless of whether or not he's saved or lost, he's in a bad place and he is going to do great damage to the cause of Christ. There's a lot of people who are also trying to process what they've gone through. You know, I think all of us have already, at some point, you've had to, I'll use the word process, things that have happened in your life that weren't supposed to happen. Things that God allowed that you thought God shouldn't have allowed. Hurts that you received at the hands of Christians. You've had to process that. You've also maybe been in churches where you, certain things were taught, and then later you're like, now wait a minute though. I don't think that's really Bible. And you had to kind of deconstruct some things. And there's questions. And I think every single Christian deals with this. You've probably already dealt with it. Maybe you're still dealing with it. If not, you probably will deal with it. The key in that process is making sure, first and foremost, that we're not doing so just in our bitterness, but we are going through these processes with our nose in the Word of God. This has to help us. This has to guide us. When I think about Josh Harris's deconstruction, and he blogs it, so it's, I mean, you, can, you can follow him every step of the way. Every thought he has is on his blog or on his Facebook. Some, anyway, interesting stuff. But at least you can read it all. You can see what he's thinking, how he got there. He's not deconstructing through this. He is deconstructing through this and these right here. He's just listening to people, listening to people, listening to people, asking questions, tons of questions, but he has no grounding anymore. He has no anchor. His anchor's been pulled up, and he's just out at sea being tossed all over the place, just like the Bible said, driven with the wind and tossed. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, I have, I can't say I've read every blog post that he's written. I don't have that much time. I don't watch everything he's done. But so I've been searching for him to come out and say, I do not believe in God or I renounce faith in Christ altogether. I haven't found that. If anybody has, has anybody found that? I, I, I see him talking about, I'm still trying to process my faith. I'm still trying to figure out what I believe. But I haven't been able to, Jillian, have you seen anything? Has he actually denied God? Right. Not a Christian. He's making up his own path. But it's been interesting. He's not had the freedom to just put it out there. I no longer believe in God. I no longer believe in Jesus or whatever. I wonder if there's something in there. Okay, I don't, I don't know. But uh, regardless, he is processing his hurts, his bitterness, his questions by simply uh, closing the Bible and opening his ears to everybody else. And you got a bunch of people groping in the darkness, bumping into each other, and, and, and that's not going to help anybody figure anything out. Yes? We had a lady in the church, Big Raceway. She used to be a bank teller. Maybe everybody has heard this. She said when they were in training as a bank teller, 
to identify counterfeit money or counterfeit bills, the way they taught them was to handle the real thing all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. If you know the real thing, then as soon as you feel a fake one, you'll know it. And, and that's the truth. If, if you handle the real thing all the time, you'll be able to recognize a fake when they come along. But people, like you say, if they're not in the book, they'll follow any, anybody, and, and you have to be aware of extremes, either extreme to the right, you know, I kissed dating goodbye, That's, that was extreme, I, you know, I suppose, or a lot of people would see that, or extreme to the left, and, and you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, yeah. and that's what he's done now, it seems like, swinging it to the far extreme yeah. the other way, and, but we like to follow extremes. Oh, wow, yeah. this is new, I've never saw this, or this is radical, or whatever, or this is, and we have to be careful. Know the truth, know the like real it. thing, and then you can identify the fakes. That's excellent. And I like what you said there about the extremes. Extremes can seem cutting edge, radical, you know, um, heroic even. And, and yeah, he kind of went from one extreme to the other. Yeah. But way over on this extreme. <laughs> His original extreme wasn't that extreme. Uh, but now where he is, is is certainly very extreme. When I look at uh, Josh's testimony, um, he, a lot of it has to do with sexuality. A lot of it. I mean, he, he just has obviously had a ton of thoughts cooped up in him about, about uh, sexuality and his thoughts of that. And it does remind me of what you see in this passage, how uh, they, these men were beguiling unstable souls and heart have they exercised with covetous practices, eyes full of adultery, cannot cease from sin, rioting in the daytime, wantonness, their pernicious ways. There was, a, there was a sensuality to these guys that was driving them. And um, all of us have a flesh. All of us are fighting that flesh. But if you stop that fight and you're trying to figure out ways to satisfy the flesh and feel good about it, uh, you're in a, you're on a bad, you're on the fast track to, to destruction real quick. Um, all of us will, until we get to heaven, we will deal with temptations, we will deal with sin, we will deal with victories, we will deal with failures. But the Christian response is one of remorse, repentance, looking to God, not wanting certain things in our life, coming back to God, the righteous man falls seven times and rises yet again, as opposed to, I wonder if the Bible really says this. I wonder, you know, if you take it this way and this way, then maybe I could do this. Uh, it was probably several years ago I, I, I spoke on a Sunday morning dealing with, I think the message was called, We Are Not Ignorant of His Devices, and I took that as a play on words to talk about our devices. That's, that's bad. That's really, yeah, cornball. That's what we did. Uh, and so we talked about our navigating our devices and so forth, and I mentioned how in studying for that message, I, I uh, had come across an article written by a man who claimed to be a born-again Christian in a Baptist church. He was anonymous. And he wrote this article, it was probably eight or ten pages with just scripture all through it, chapter and verse, chapter and verse, chapter and verse, King James Version, making the argument that Christians could look at pornography, 
That's what he did for about eight or ten pages. Uh, and he had the Bible all the way through it. Um, and he was anonymous because he said he didn't want to be found out and he didn't want his wife to know that he wrote the, <laughs> that he wrote the article. Okay, now, uh, pornography is alive and well in our day. And it is more prevalent than ever thanks to all of these devices, right? And all of us are having to navigate that minefield. And Lord willing, in, in the new year, January, February, I want to actually get into some of that more specifically. Um, but there's a, a key, key thing with a Christian who is born again and who is walking with the Lord. Uh, you may get, you may take a bullet or two or three or four, but you're not liking it and you're not looking for ways to take more. How can I take a few more bullets and, and, and it be okay? You know, th that's not the Christian response. The Christian response is, ooh, that hurt. Ooh, that stung. Oh, that was bad. How can I, wh what armor do I need to put on here? Okay, I need, I need some body armor. I need a, a breastplate. I need the shield of faith, a helmet. Let's get this together. Let's, let's change some things. Let's get a bunker. Let's do something. Where's the tank? <laughs> well, but we're thinking in terms of fighting. Not saying that we're not going to get wounded, but we are thinking in terms of fighting. Uh, if your thinking is such like these false teachers or that article where you're, you're, you're trying to appease the flesh, you're trying to even feel good about it and biblicize it, if that's a word, uh, this pious approach to sin, uh, you're in a bad, bad camp with bad, bad company and that'd be something you, you ought to pray much about. Um, you see here, these guys, their hearts are willing to sin. That is a far cry from someone who's saying, as the Apostle Paul said, you know, I, I want to do what's right, but my flesh is weak, and to will is present within me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Oh, uh, what, what do you say? Oh, uh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the heart cry of a soul who is born again and, and, and seeking fellowship with his Savior. As opposed to, oh no, I think it's okay because of this. I think we ought to be able to do that. Blah, 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 blah. And David had all kinds of wives. And he was, he was the man after God's own heart. You ever heard that one? You know, Solomon, he had thousands and he was the smartest guy. What in the world are you doing? When you're taking these things and turning it, now you're sounding like these guys in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Or, I hate to say it, but you sound like Josh Harris. Yes? I think that for many people, from knowing through this from experience, I think that for many people, what you're hitting on doesn't first stem from them and their desires, but somebody that they knew very close that they couldn't wrap around. And so they had to justify their behavior. And then through justifying their behavior, they adopted it themselves. I'm, I'm talking about like the gay mm. lifestyle and stuff like that. Like say if you have a child who you... That's, yeah, that's so. so, so prevalent. Yeah, so, so what she said there, if you didn't hear it, some people find themselves compromising, capitulating, whatever you want to call it, on truth because they're having, they're confronted with the fact that um, my kid has now 
you know, changed, or my, my kid is now, uh, you know, changed their gender, or lesbian, or whatever, um, or my kid has uh, decided to live with this girlfriend, and they're not going to get married, or, or whatever it may be, right? Then you have a choice as a parent, am I going to change what I believe in order to be inclusive? And we can still show love, and we can still uh, show commitment to our family relationship while still saying, this is what God says. I can't apologize for it. I can't change it. I didn't write it, and it would not be love if I changed on this. Yes, Rashawn. Yeah, go ahead. Give her the give her the mic. We don't have time to get into it, but um, could you hold a little higher? Writers, yes. Josh and um, Joe is and Jocelyn Zykerman. Yes. The songwriters. Yes. Yes. And how the wife ended up writing that book. I know they got divorced. Yep. The book that she wrote, I fired God. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? I know yeah, that I looked into that. I've spent songs. I've spent hours researching that one, uh, and I don't have any thus saith the Lord on it, right? I got my opinion. But, you know, Joe Zichterman wrote the song, A Passion for Thee. Anybody familiar with that song? Phenomenal song. Phenomenal song that he wrote in the middle of of a a real meeting with God, a personal revival. I don't know all the story, but there was hurts that took place. Um... You know what? Hurts happen in good places with good people. You know, they're working in ministry with other people who claim to love the Lord, and yet hurts happen. Uh, I have been hurt in church. Have you? I've been hurt by Christians, deeply hurt by Christians. I have been hurt by pastors. I have, uh, it, it happens. Um, so they got hurt, and one thing led to another. Whenever bitterness comes in, bitterness will take you down. So then she came up with her website. That's what everybody does. You get your blog, you get your podcast, you tell your story, and you spread awareness. As if people aren't aware that there's garbage in the world. <laughs> you know, it's like, what in the world? Uh, spread awareness. Actually, it's spread my bitterness is what it usually is. Um, and uh, so the story gets tell, told, and then she had uh, on her website all of the institutions she wanted to see closed. It was basically every Christian college in America. She had all of their names on there. That was her, her mission, was to close them all and all of this. And then, she, of course, then she and Joe got divorced and everything just continued to spiral. Um, so what do we say about that? Uh, I believe that that is what the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity looks like. Hebrews chapter 12. Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Um, I personally believe this is just my two cents now, Okay. I believe that when persecution does come in America, I believe some of the worst persecution that we're going to receive will be at the hand of Christians 
that sold out and hate our guts for not selling out. And the fact, whenever you have two Christians, one sells out and one doesn't, well, this one now feels shame and guilt. And you've you got to come with me. We've got to go together. Let's go together, man. Now, by you not going with me, now you're, you're, you're one-upping me. You're making me feel bad. You're holier than me. And you now you're like the true blue and I'm the compromiser. No, no, I'm not going to take that. And then there can be this hatred. And I, I say it because I think I've seen it on a minor scale for the, la for the last 20 years of my life. You see two Christians who loved each other. One Christian begins to sell out, sell out, compromise, compromise, and then just go to the world. Their friend stays true, and what do they do? They turn on them and start blasting them with both guns. You're this hateful person. You're blah, 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 blah. And they have to bring that guy down in order to get the, 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 their own conscience settled. And I, I personally, it's just my thought, I personally believe when the persecution really rains down here, before Jesus takes us back. I think it's going to get worse and worse. Some of the, like the devil won't have to bring an atheist to kill us. One of our own will probably take us out and feel good doing it because now, you know, this guy's not going to shame me by his testimony. There's not much worse than a bitter, carnal, fleshly Christian. There's not much worse than that. Uh, when you have a, a lost man who doesn't know, that's one thing. But this passage says God's going to take it to the ones who did know and rejected it. They're going to get it harder. I believe that goes for those who weren't saved and knew and those who were saved and then deviated. It's always worse the more you knew and the more you rejected. So anyway, those are my thoughts on that. Other thoughts or questions? Yes, Paul? On the, on the cutting edge. I know you could put different names with it. Oh, sorry. Just the, just the cutting edge. Of? What exactly that means. I know there's different interpretations of it. Like the cutting edge of, of ministry? Or it's like taking the cutting edge off the gospel. Oh. Off certain, certain things. I guess I don't, I don't know what you mean by the cutting edge. Watering down the gospel? Yes. Okay, yeah. I, so, I mean, the, the, the Bible itself is the, 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 the two-edged sword, sharper than a two-edged sword. And swords cut, and the Bible says it pierces to the dividing of the soul and spirit, to the innermost part of the being. It just cuts. The Bible says in Acts, it says they were pricked in the heart, and it says they were cut to the heart. And then what they do, they gnash on them with their teeth and stuff. When people get cut to the heart with the sword, all kinds of things happen. You either have revival or riot. And we have both in the book of Acts. Um, so a, a false teacher, he's going to blunt the edge because he doesn't want either. He doesn't really want a revival. He doesn't want a riot. So just blunt the edge and tone down the gospel. Um, stick the gospel in the appendices of the book. And then your best life now for the first you know, 12 chapters of the book and just ride that thing. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think uh, the gospel is an offense to the lost. First Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, but especially chapter 1, it's an offense 
to the, to the lost, but it's also an, an offense to the carnal Christian. Because the carnal Christian is really in it for himself, and they're not really in it for a move of God. And so the carnal Christian just keeps wanting to blunt the edge, blunt the edge, blunt the edge, and soften things. We need to learn how to recognize false teachers and false teaching. We've already alluded to this, but the most important way of doing that is through your commitment to being a student of the Word of God. As Brother uh, uh, World just said, you got to handle the real bills enough that you can then discern what the fake uh, feels like, right? It doesn't feel like the original. You can't possibly study every fake, but you can study the original. So the, that's the first way we uh, will, will help ourselves is by being committed students of the Word of God. Um, the other way we can help ourselves is through being connected with a vibrant assembly in a local church. When you're just off on your own as a maverick doing the YouTube theology, not that YouTube doesn't have any good things. I've been greatly helped through preachers on YouTube, but sometimes there's a smorgasbord. I like this guy. I like this guy. I like this guy. Sometimes you need to, you need to hear something you didn't want to hear, you know, um, but it's also good to be in one place with accountability, people who know you, people who can come to you and say, hey, I've been praying for you this week. How are you doing? What's been going on in your life? You seem, you seem tired. You seem distracted. You seem burdened or whatever. Um, you, you need to be with a, a, a local assembly. It's biblical. And that will help us, I think, with false teachers. Uh, also, uh, don't take a light view of Scripture. So we talked about studying the Word and knowing the Word, but then don't handle it lightly. If God said it, He meant it. You need to, to act upon what He says. And then don't be a man-pleasing individual. If you're a man-pleaser, a people-pleaser, you're going to more easily fall prey to false teaching than if you were not. If there's pressure family members, and you got to believe this, and oh, this isn't politically correct anymore. Oh, that's so old school. Yeah, they believed that in the 1920s, but this is 2023, man. Come on, get with the program. Get up to date. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess God forgot what time it was, and because uh, you're a man pleaser, as opposed to, you know, this is what the Word of God says. And I love these people, but I'm not trying to please these people. And then We've got to be very, very vigilant about our own covetousness. Remember, the covetousness of the false teachers played on the covetousness of the listeners. A good salesman at the store figures you out. And they ask you questions, they make small talk, and... I mean, they are good. They're winsome. They get you laughing. Uh, first name basis in 30 seconds. They know all your kids. And they've got you figured out. And now they are trying to sell you what they've already figured out you already want. Oh, I got this guy. He wants this, this, and this. Oh, I've got this, this, and this to give it to him, you know? Oof. And off they go. And, uh, you know, if we're covetous individuals, 
if we are led by our own lusts, you are going to more easily fall prey to someone who's just a salesman. That's why he signed up for the ministry, was to make merchandise of the flock. Well, we need to not be covetous individuals anyway, right? Uh, but it also helps with this matter of being on guard. It's already 714. Wow. I had one last thing I wanted to say, and that is this also plays into cults, just how to recognize a cult or a false religion. You, you had a whole bunch in chapter 2. These guys are um, winsome, big words, and all of this, but they're also top-down, domineering kind of guys. And uh, with cults, uh, look for these characteristics because the, the, the cults are full of them. And it's an extreme, too. You mentioned the extremes. Cults are always playing to extremes and playing to fear. And uh, um, there's also usually in cults a lot of things having to do with lusts, and un unbridled lusts and passions and perversions and so forth. Um, give us all your money and trust us. You know, there's money always comes into it. Uh, you know, uh, chapter 2 doesn't talk about our word, word cult, but this would be a good chapter to go to if you're needing to uh, work your way through. Is this a, a cult that I'm, that I'm hearing about or, or whatever, a false religion? The, the traits are there. Final thought or question here on chapter 2. We didn't ha hardly touch it, it feels like, but we got into a few things anyway. Well, this has been good. Chapter 3, of course, dials into the specific false teaching of he's not coming back, so why bother? And the answer comes back definitively. Oh, yes, he is. And be steadfast and hang in there, trusting in his promise, relying on his word, resolved despite the outward pressure, the scoffers, the mockers, the intimidating uh, personalities. We've got to be willing and ready to stand. Our culture of Christianity, admittedly, is very different from uh, generations of Christianity gone by. In the past, if you became a Christian, it was assumed you were going to have to fight for what you believed. Not like fist fight, but I mean spiritual fight. You were going to have to withstand ridicule and mockery and scoffing. Christianity today is a different story. You know, it's been so accepted. Um, and now you've got churches that are the coolest, hippest place to be. Christians just aren't used to being mocked anymore. We're not used to that. Scoffers mocking at me? Get used to it. Expect it. If you're in the right place, uh, if you're in a church that preaches the truth, um, you'll probably be receiving a fair amount of that and recognize it's okay. They did all this to the apostles and, and to Christ before us. And so it's a privilege for us to also be able to suffer some of that shame for his name. Let's have a word of prayer as we finish here tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these chapters that help us in our understanding. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to not be double-minded, to not be um, tossed to and fro and carried with every wind of doctrine, 
Uh, Lord, help us to be committed students of the Word, resolved to be steadfast in the defense of the gospel and of the doctrine of your Word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, folks.